Humbled and blessed are the two words I think about tonight, to be able to be with you. Excited. I love Vacation Bible School. I love the word right in the middle of that, Bible. If you're a member of this congregation, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're supporting this good effort this week. Only heaven knows how much good can be done from the things that will be said from the seeds that will be planted. If you are from a neighboring congregation, thank you for your encouragement. If you're a member of this community and you brought a child or you just came to Vacation Bible School tonight, thank you. Thank you for coming. As David mentioned, it's a special joy for me to be here, to be with you, David and Kelly and their family, I had the privilege, Cindy and I were in the Jasper area many years ago where uh, David's parents went to church, got to know them well, appreciated, loved them over the years for a lot of different things, a lot of different reasons. Some of you, I know going back a lot of years, back to my dad and Marion County and how special that is. Others of you, I've had the privilege of serving with in some very, very special ways. And so it's a, it's a great joy for me to be with you tonight. And I pray and I hope and I trust that our thoughts in the Word of God will be encouraging, motivating, and will first and foremost be that that pleases Him. The book I have in my hands is a very special book. You can recognize it rather quickly. It's special because it's the Bible. It's special because it's the Word of God. And Solomon said near the end of the book that we call Proverbs in the 30th chapter and the 5th verse that every word is pure. Every word is pure. You can't find another book like that. You can't find television shows like that. You can't find conversations like that. Every word of God is pure. But this particular one is special to me because the name in the front of it is not my name. It's the same last name, but it's not my name. It's my dad's name, and this was his Bible, one of his Bibles. He left the walks of this life about 11 years ago. But it wasn't so much just the book that he held in his hand, and knowing as I hold it tonight, he held it in his hand. But it's the fact that he had placed the words in his heart. Not only had he placed the words in his heart, he shared those words with so many other people. And so as we think tonight about the things, some of the things that are contained in this book, the lesson's really simple. I couldn't make it complicated if I wanted to. But the lesson's really simple. I really want to ask three questions. And there are three questions that I want to encourage each of us to answer. If you want to take notes or write them down, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine. They're not long questions. Every question only has three words. All of the words except one only have one syllable. But they're among the pro most profound words that I could think of tonight to share with us in regard to those things that ulti ultimately matter both now and throughout eternity. Question number one, am I saved? Am I saved? Now, outside of a religious setting, you would probably have to explain that. What, what do you mean when you use the word saved? Saved from what? 
I saw an article this past week, I believe it was, and you probably saw it as well, about a father that died down on the coast. He drowned trying to save his child from a riptide. I can't but imagine what that must have been like for the child and, and obviously for the father. But what we're talking about tonight and what we're thinking about tonight, we're asking that simple but profound question, am I saved? A long time ago, long before we were ever born, there was a man and woman that were in a garden and it's called the Garden of Eden and they'd been placed there by God, they'd been created by God and it's pretty simple. Here's what I want you to do, here's what I don't want you to do and there's a tree, don't eat of that tree. That beautiful relationship with God. God walked with them in the evening. God talked with them in the evening. And it was a really wonderful thing. But, but there was someone that entered the picture that's still in the picture today, and it's Satan. And Satan told the woman, he said, Now, what about this tree? And I'm paraphrasing. He said, What about this tree? Well, I can't eat that one. Well, why not that? Well, God said, Don't. Don't? Don't eat of that one? Why not? Well, well, let me just give you a little advice. If you eat of that, God knows when you eat, you're going to be wise, your eyes are going to be open, you're going to be better off. Hmm, okay. She took and she ate. Her husband ate along with her. And the very first sin was committed. And it, done, it did something horribly, terribly, in a way that separated a relationship that they and God had had. Isaiah said in chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, it's not because God has a shorthand. It's not because He's not real good at hearing that you're separated from Him, but it's your sins and your iniquities that have separated you from God. Adam and Eve were drawn or driven out of the garden, but the worst part was not having to leave the garden. The worst part was a separation from God. There's one single thing worse than anything else in this life, and it's not covid it's not many of the other things that you hear about. It's not high gas prices. It's not inflation. The worst thing in my life and in your life is sin. Because what sin does, sin negates every good thing that God wants us to have. Sin negates peace. Sin negates hope. Sin negates promises. Sin negates spiritual blessings. And so the question then becomes, if sin separates, and it obviously does... Is there anything that can be done when that separation takes place? Because we go from a state wherein we are safe, a state wherein we are saved, a state wherein we are secure, to a state wherein we are lost. Separated from God, separated from all that's good. It's interesting to note some of the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 19, and in verse number 10, when He said, he came, and he described himself as the Son of Man. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The worst problem I have is sin. The worst problem you have is sin. The greatest blessing that we have is salvation. But how does that happen? How when I am separated from God from my sins, and it's not from your sins, it's not from somebody else's, it's my own, and you're separated because of your own sins, how do I become reconciled to God. Where does that salvation come from? And if you think about the theme of, of this book, the theme of this book is salvation. It's reconciliation to God for us 
through Jesus Christ. We think about how that transpires and how that takes place. Jesus talked about it. The New Testament writers talked about it. Jesus came that we might have life, have it more abundantly. And when I recognize that state of sinfulness, and it's not hard to figure out, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, All have sinned and come short of God's glory. It is easy to look at other people and make comparisons and say, You know, I'm not as bad as that. I haven't done what that... I I don't do what that group of people does and somewhat unintentionally seek some self-justification, but Romans 3 puts us all in the spot we need to be of understanding all have sinned. Every single one of us have sinned and missed, fallen short of God's glory. Three chapters over in chapter 6 and verse 23, he tells us a little bit more about sin. So, if I were to say, well, how many of us that have driver's license have ever Going over the speed limit. Probably every single one of us. Right? Well, okay, we're all guilty. Well, what are the consequences of that? Well, I don't know about you. I've found those consequences a time or two. But there are more times that I went over the speed limit that I didn't find the consequences than I found. But is it really that big a deal? Well, what about this sin thing? How big is that deal? Chapter 6 and verse 23 says the wages of sin is death. That's what it cost. The wages, the recompense of sin is death. But I'm so grateful, and you are as well, that that verse also says, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Separated. Separated by sin. God takes no joy in our sin. It grieves the heart of God when we sin and when we separate ourselves from Him so much that He sent Jesus for us and for our salvation. I suppose, I don't suppose, I'm extremely confident. I know what happened here earlier today. When you worshiped earlier today, you took of some unleavened bread and you took of some fruit of the vine reminding each of us of a sacrifice that was made on our behalf. Though He were a son, yet learned the obedience by the things that He suffered, the Hebrew writer said, speaking of Jesus being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation to those that believe, to those that obey, to those that trust. But how does that happen? How does that take place? Jesus told people in that period of time that He walked upon this earth, if you believe not. If you believe not that I'm He, you will die in your sins. Where He was, we cannot go. If I am going to be saved, and I'm asking that question, and am I saved? There must be a confidence, a trust, a belief, a faith in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end just that, that recognition. Even that admittance, even that trust. But you see, it's sin that got us in trouble in the first place. And he says, we've got to turn away from that. To a group in Luke chapter 13, he said in verse 3, unless, unless you repent. Well, what is repentance? It's a change of heart. 
It's a change of mind that is followed by a change of action. I stop going my way, I start going God's way. I'm sorry for what I did that was wrong and I want to as much as humanly possible make it right and try to do different. Jesus said, unless you repent, you'll perish. So I see the need of trusting in Jesus, having faith, believing and repenting, but I'm not where I want to be yet. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, if you will confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father, which is in heaven. You see a process as it's beginning to unfold and as it begins to develop. I learn about Jesus. I trust, I have faith in Him. I'm willing to turn away from that that separates me from He and God. I'm willing to confess that He's the Son of God. Am I saved? Those are wonderful things to do. At that point, though I've made some progress, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where God wants to be because I still have my sins. Even when I have faith, yes. Even when I'm willing to repent, yes. Even when I've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, yes. Why? Because what I've not done yet, I've not contacted that that can forgive sins. I've not been able to contact, or I've not contacted the blood of Jesus Christ. It speaks of Jesus in the book of Revelation chapter 1 in this way. He washed us from our sins in His blood. Washed us from our sins in His blood. Now, when I begin to think about it and you begin to think about it, and we realize as we read the Bible, there are some parts that are extremely literal. Every word is literal. And there are other parts that are figurative. Because if it is contingent upon my salvation that I am washed from my sins that I cannot touch with the physical senses, in Jesus' blood, how am I going to get the literal blood of Jesus to wash that sins? Obviously, he's speaking in a figurative form here. How can I figure that one out? Saul on the way to Damascus counters the Lord. Saul thought he was doing what was right. He thought he was doing what God wanted him to do. Finds out different. Jesus says, I want you to go to the, into the city. Ananias is going to talk to you. Ananias had been praying. Ananias makes, Ananias makes his statement. He said, what are you waiting for? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Oh, so in Revelation chapter 1, as he says, we're washed from our sins in His blood. That's how it's done. Through baptism. And that shouldn't come as a great shock to those that have read the New Testament. Because after Jesus' death, Jesus in telling those that would remain and those that would ultimately be a part of His kingdom, His church, those that He was leaving this good news of His death, burial, and resurrection in His hands, Jesus told them, Go. Go all over the world and share this good news. Teach the gospel. Preach the gospel. Share the gospel. He or she that believes and is baptized shall be saved. We sing the song, 
Not ordinary grace. Not better than average grace. Not really, really good grace. But we sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Because even in our obedience to all of the things that we've just noted, it's not our goodness that saves us. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8, For it is by grace that you're saved, that not of yourselves, lest anybody would brag or boast. It's not your own, not my own workmanship, but it is the gift of God. There is a beautiful marriage between God's grace and man or woman, boy or girl's obedience that brings us into a state of salvation. That rescues us from the pit of sin and the place of sin and the punishment of sin and brings us into a place of spiritual blessings, into a place where we are forgiven, into a place where we can call God our Father. Am I saved? Are you saved? Have we complied with what God has said to do? Because once we have done those things that we noted, John speaks in one of his short letters about it this way. He said, there's something else still going on. If we walk in the light, the light being the Word of God, as He is in the light, speaking of Jesus, we have fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. You see, my initial problem of sin didn't stop when I got baptized on May the 14th, 1972. That wasn't my last sin. And so there's a need to continue to walk in the light. There's a need to continue to confess and repent from those things that we do and continue to walk in the light. Question number one, am I saved? Question number two, am I sure? You think, what? Wait a minute. Am I saved? Okay, there's only really two answers, yes or no. Now, now what about this sure thing? Am I sure? Because when we think about this idea of being saved, there are a lot of people. If you just went down to Decatur or you went to Moulton or you went to Florence or somewhere tomorrow and you just asked the first hundred people you meet, are you saved? You wouldn't have to go in a lot of detail about what the question meant. They'd say, oh, oh, oh yeah, I, I, I'm saved. And then if you begin to ask them, well, okay, so what process did you go through to be saved? You would get a lot of different answers. A lot of different answers. And so, not only do I want to be able to answer the question, am I saved? Yes. I want to be able to answer the question, am I sure? Yes. And, and how do I know? There's some very comforting words in the Word of God. Very encouraging words. But there's some very frightening words that are found in the Bible. There's some very disturbing words. And some of those are found in Matthew chapter 7 and are spoken by Jesus himself. And this is what Jesus said. Not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how that affected you the first time it re you read it. When I read that, wow. 
Now, there are certain people that don't expect to be saved. There are certain people that don't believe in God. There are certain people that have some understanding of the Word of God, and they say, well, I, I don't care about that. I, I know I'm not saved. Whatever. But Jesus says, not everybody that said, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he qualifies it this way. But he or she that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Okay, that helps me to understand. It's not just saying, Lord, Lord. It's just not calling on His name. It's not just going to church. It's not just being religious. There is a will that is to be done. But what He says after that is even more disturbing. He said, for many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not in Thy name cast out devils? Have in Thy name we not done many wonderful works? Here are people that are active. Here are people, and if you note that particular context, Jesus doesn't argue with them, and he doesn't deny what they're saying. He's saying, oh, no, you didn't do those things. You're not telling truth. He said, depart from me, workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. You see, the will of God, that's what he said, is the qualifier. And the will of humanity isn't always the same. When we began in the Garden of Eden, we began the introduction of Satan to Eve. He's still around. He's still here today. And when it comes to the subject of salvation, Satan has a lot to say. He has a lot to say. Satan will say things like this. He'll say, you don't really need to worry about it because there are a certain number of people that have been predetermined, pre-chosen. If you're in that group, you're going to be all right. If you're not in that group, you're not going to be around. There's nothing you can do about either of those. You're either in or you're out. You can't be. I was on a mission trip once, and we were, there was a group of us that were studying, and, and one of our folks was studying with a lady. And the guy came to me, and he said, Hey, here's the hang-up. I said, The what? He said, Here's the hang-up. And she went over the book of Revelation. She got that 144,000. She was trying to figure out if she was in. She was trying to figure out if she was out. And I said, okay, let's go study a little. We went and we sat out with her. And, and in just a few minutes when she realized you have a choice, everybody gets to pick and choose. You get to choose whether you're saved. You get to choose whether you're lost. That day she was immersed in Waters of baptism for the forgiveness of her sin, but Satan had convinced her and some other people. You don't get to pick. You don't get to choose. It's already pre-decided. There are other folks when it comes to salvation that have heard Satan through other people say this. Well, just as long as, as you're a good, honest, sincere person, you, you try to do what's right. That, that's good. That, that, that's enough. And there are people that say, well, I probably don't do this, or I don't do that, or maybe I don't go to church, or maybe I don't, and on and on, but I'm a good person, and I'm okay. Satan's also whispered this multiple times. Well, if you believe in Jesus with all your heart, and you just accept him in your heart, and you just believe, and you just have that full belief, and that full faith in him, then all your sins are gone, and you're okay. Satan also has whispered this. Well, if you get to that point where you trust in God, if you'll just do this. If you will, just pray this prayer. 
And the prayer goes something like this. Lord, I, I realize that I've sinned. I realize you sent Jesus uh, as my Savior and I accept him in my heart. Say that prayer. And when you say that prayer, you're okay. I've heard it on the radio. I've heard it on the television. I've talked to people. And there are thousands, millions of people that probably believe that's okay. That's all right. That's good. You, you're saved. I've done this, and I hope you have or will as well. I've asked people as lovingly and kindly, as sincerely as I can, can you show me? Can you show me that prayer one time in the Bible? I can show you numerous instances where people were saved following the process that we talked about, where people die to sin, where they're buried in water and baptism, rise to walk in you. But if you can just show me one time, that prayer that would save, that is called the sinner's prayer. I've seen some folks get really frustrated. I've seen some folks get really angry. I've seen some folks say, somebody has misled me. And they have, sadly. But the question then becomes is, am I sure? Have I done what God has told me to do? Because if I've done what God's told me to do, where does that place me? It places me in His kingdom, in His church, in His family. Acts chapter 2, and they heard on the day of Pentecost that they were responsible for crucifying Jesus. Wicked hands. They cried out, what do we need to do? Peter and the others, they didn't say, well, if you'll just say this prayer. They didn't say, just accept Jesus as your personal Savior. They didn't say, if you'll just be a good moral person. They said the same thing Jesus said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins. Am I sure? Am I continuing to walk with Him? Because once a person is released from the bondage of sin, baptism does that. It releases every sin. It's beautiful the way it's described, particularly in the Old Testament, how God cast our sins as far as as the east is from the west, he throws us behind, throws them behind his back. He casts them into, after we've been released, what then? Unfortunately, the devil has a message that says, well, once you've been saved, you're always saved. And it doesn't even matter what you do from there on out. You, you can't ever be lost again. We don't have the time to develop that tonight. There's a multiplicity of passages in the New Testament that teach that that's not the case. And sometimes people go to the total opposite of extreme. There's sadly that message that's presented. Once saved, you're always saved and there's nothing you can do to mess that up. Even in the church, sadly, sometimes it's once saved, always doubt. Once saved, always wonder. Once saved, always be unsure. And we have folks in our brotherhood that have no security in their salvation. John said, we know that we know that we know Him. Not based upon our goodness, but based upon our continued walk with Him. I want to walk out of here tonight being able to answer question number one. Am I saved? And I want to be able to answer it. Yes. I want to be able to walk out of here tonight answering question number two. Am I sure? I want to be able to answer that question. Yes. Not because of my greatness or my goodness or my merit. 
because of the mercy of God and the desire to continue to walk with Him. Question number three, and we get into our two-syllable word in this question. Am I sharing? Am I sharing? You might think, what do you mean by that question, am I sharing? Now that I'm saved, now that I'm sure, what am I doing to share Jesus with other people? We live in a world filled with people separated from God. Filled with people that have never heard the simple, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. They've heard a lot of what the devil's had to say. They've heard a lot of things that, that can't be proven through the word of God. But there's a lot of people. And there are people that are seeking looking, they're good, they're honest, they're sincere, they're doing everything they know. Try to do what's right. Are we sharing Jesus? Are we sharing them in simplicity? I'm glad you're here tonight. I'm glad there's VBS because I want to share a true VBS story with you. Sometimes they go, well, I don't know. I've invited these people hundreds of times or bunches of times or numbers of times, and they don't come. They won't come. And who wants to listen? And, and, you know, nobody's really interested. Everybody's stuck in their own religion, yada, yada, yada. Let me tell you who is sharing those words with us. Not anybody in that book. It's that same devil that's sharing the other stuff. There was some years ago, the late brother Bobby Duncan, priest at Adamsville for many years, he was out in California, and he was with a group of preachers at a lectureship or something, and, and they were having lunch, and the man said, well, Brother Duncan asked him, he said, you know, what's your name? I, I, I'm not from this area. I don't know you or whatever. And, and the man told him his name, and Brother Duncan said, well, I'm glad to meet you. I just never have met you before. And the man said, you probably wouldn't have a reason to know me. Brother Duncan was like, okay, so why would that be? And the man smiled, said, let me tell you my story. He said, some years ago, he said, when my wife and I first got married, he said, we weren't living the way we needed to be living. We weren't doing things you ought to be doing. We were drinking. We were doing other things. We were having gambling parties over here. And it just wasn't, wasn't the way it ought to be. And we had a little child. And, and as that child got a little older, I had a group one night, Saturday night over at my house. And we were doing things you didn't need to be doing. And we were loud and we were out in. My wife came in there where we were and she gave me that look. Oh, you married men know what that look is, don't you? And so the next morning they began to talk. And she said, and he said, number one, this is no way to live. And number two, this is no way to raise a child. And they were right on both cases. And so what they said from that point was, okay. We need to find something better than our life. And so they began going from church to church, from church A to church B, church C, church D. They began going to the ones in the community, and they would come back home and kind of talk about it over lunch. And with every single one of them, they found good things. And they said, you know, this is good, but it just seems like something's missing. Something is missing. And the woman said, you know, when I was a little kid growing up, in my community in Michigan, there was a lady that came and picked me up and carried me to vacation Bible school every single summer. Every sing- and what I loved about them, they, they just taught the Bible. We had fun. And we had get- They just taught the Bible. And he said, well, what church was that? 
And she said, I don't remember, but I think. I think she gave me a Bible. I may have that put up in my stuff, a, a little bitty Bible. And so she went, and she found that little Bible. And I don't remember the name of the congregation, but it was some church of Christ there. And the next Sunday, they went to that congregation or to a congregation in their area. And they continued to go, and they continued to go, and they continued to go. And they began to study, and they began to learn, and they said, this is what we're looking for. This is just the Bible, nothing more, nothing less, just the Bible, the Word of God. They became Christians. He became interested in preaching the gospel, went to school, learned to preach, blessed many, many lives because one lady carried this little girl to vacation Bible school. She invited. What would have happened had she not carried her? Had she not given that invitation? So before you or I dismiss tonight, we're doing vacation Bible school next week, before you dismiss the fact of, oh, they won't come, they won't go, they won't whatever, you never know how God will take a seed that you plant for good. Sharing. Sharing Jesus with other people. How long does it go between our conversations with people at work or at school or wherever we are before Jesus comes up? Before we share, people that are struggling, people that are going through hard times, people that are having difficulties in their life, before we bring up Jesus as the answer. Jesus can solve your problems. Jesus can help you. Jesus has a family called the church. How often do you, how often do I pray about opportunities? Let me warn you, be careful what you ask God. He may give it to you. And so if you pray tomorrow in the morning, Lord, please put me in front of somebody that I can talk to about you and about your son. He just may do that. Friday, a gentleman was over at my house and we were discussing some things and weren't necessarily religious in their nature. But the subject turned that way. And he said, I've got four young men. I've got four young men that I want you to, I want you to talk to. I want you to to spend some time about some other things, but I want you to spend some time in the Word. This man's not a member of the church. But he said, I want you to spend some time in the Word with them. I said, awesome. Let me know the time. Let me know the place. I'm asking you tonight to pray about that opportunity for me. I'm so hoping that happens. That I'll have that opportunity. To, but that's not unique. That's not... There are people that want to know. The devil says nobody's listening. The devil says nobody cares. The devil says that, oh, they're just, they're in their own religion. Nobody's going to change them. I haven't seen the last poll, but the one I saw most recently said somewhere in the neighborhood of 60% of the people in our country have changed, to borrow our terminology, churches. They change religions. So if I'm going to say nobody's going to change I'm basically going to define what 60% of the people say. By life. Jesus said, let your light so shine. Love singing with me, our granddaughter tonight, this little Christian light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Am I doing that? Am I sharing? Is my light shining? You're the salt of the earth. You're the city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Is that really true? 
Do people notice the difference in you? Do they notice the difference in me? Do we stand up and do we speak up for our Lord? Do we have the courage when the opportunities present themselves to say, can I tell you about my Jesus? When somebody's having a hardship, can I tell you where you can find a solution to that? I want to know more about the Lord. I want to know more about heaven. Can I talk to you about heaven? I'm going to meddle for just a second now. If it doesn't fit you, doesn't hit you, that's okay. Didn't mean to insinuate that it does. But it's way too easy. It's way too easy to come in this building or the building where we go or if you go somewhere else two or three times a week and that be the extent of the discussion of Jesus. We will never reach the world with fields of dreams. What do you mean fields of dreams? Build it and they'll come. We've had them built for a long time. Jesus didn't say build it and they'll come. Jesus said go to where they are. That's my encouragement to me tonight. That's my encouragement to you tonight. And I don't know what you think about necessarily the presentation. But the presentation always starts with me. What I'm sharing with you, I've already had to look at the man in the mirror and deal with already. So if you're thinking, well, what's this got to do with us? It had a lot more to do with me than it did something to deal with you. Because I think these are three, three very pertinent questions in our life. Am I saved? I need to know a yes or no. Am I sure? I need to know a yes or a no because there will come a time like Jesus said in Matthew 7 when it's too late. It wasn't like, okay, so what can I do now? Where's the change? What, what can I fix now? No fixing then. And in my mind, equally important am I sharing. If not us who? Jesus isn't coming back to share his message. Jesus is coming back to find those that are faithful and true to him. I saw a lady today had on a shirt. I think it was Walmart or somewhere. And she said, and I love the shirt, normal is not coming back. How many of us have said that in the last couple of years? Normal is not coming back. But then around that, she said, it said Jesus is. And that's absolutely true. Absolutely true. I don't want to just sit down on salvation and say, boy, it's good to be saved. What about folks around me and around you that are not? I don't just be able to be sure and say, well, I have confidence based on the word of God that, that I'm sure of that. Every day, every day people are hurled into eternity by the thousands. Some prepared, some unprepared. Which ones can I make a difference in the lives of? I don't know. Man was picking up starfish one day when the tide was going out. There was many more than he could actually rescue or take care of. And a man came by and kind of laughed and he said, you really think you're making much of a difference with all of these? He didn't slow down picking up. He said, I am to this one. And then he kept going. I don't know. Jesus said, man, when you talk in parable form, I love the parables. He said, a sower went forth to sow. He talked about four different places that the seed fell. And ultimately, there was one out of the four that produced the desired harvest. I got the feeling that wasn't the first time that sower had sown seeds. I had a feeling he knew that the birds would get some, that some soil wouldn't be good enough, that some would get choked out, but he didn't stop sowing the seed. I don't have the ability of Jesus to read the hearts of people, so I don't know who's going to accept, who's going to reject, who's going to obey, who's going to disobey. But I know the message he gave me. He said, go, 
Share that good news. Three questions. Am I saved? Am I sure? Am I sharing? How'd you do? How'd I do? I know on the last one, I want to continue to continue to continue to grow. As I said earlier, be careful what you ask God. He will answer prayers. And if you want to share, there's ways that He'll help you. You're sharing tonight by being here and being a good example, a good influence. Some of you are sharing because your children are here. Some of you have grandchildren here. Some of you are are inviting and encouraging other people. God be thanked and God praise you for that. Let's close with a word of prayer tonight. Our God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you wanted to save us so bad that you let Jesus come and die. We thank you that you made your plan simple and you made it available to every single one of us. And I pray, Father, if there are those here tonight that are not saved, this night will not end before that changes. Father, thank you for security that you give us in knowing. Help us to be good students of your word so that we won't be deceived, but that we'll truly find truth. And Heavenly Father, please help us to share that with other people. So many good-hearted people, so many honest and sincere people have missed your way and are missing your way that would turn to you and that would come to you if someone would in love and compassion show it to them. Help us to be your hands. Help us to be your feet. Help us to be your mouth. Help us to be your ears. Help us to be your messengers so that others can know of you. In Jesus' name, amen.